Hey everybody, welcome back to Office Hours. I'm Encore. And I'm Ian. And today we're joined with Jordan Harad. In this episode of Office Hours, we chat with Jordan Harad, a PhD student at Harvard MIT, with Dr. Emery Brown and Dr. Ed Boyden, the guy who co-invented optogenetics. We talk about turning passions and ideas into projects, her experience as a TEDx Beacon Street speaker, and living life in controlled chaos. Welcome, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Jordan's a PhD student at MIT and Harvard, and her research focuses on neuroengineering, BMI, and machine learning. So for the viewers out there, can you tell us a little bit more about what you, what you do and how you do it? Yeah, so I'm a PhD student in medical engineering and medical physics, which is this really broad term that we use to basically say anything that you want to do in the city of Boston that pertains to both <laughs> medicine and engineering. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can work anywhere in the city, which is really nice. So one of my advisors works uh, both at Harvard Medical School, but is also like a practicing anesthesiologist at mm-hmm. um, Mass General. And then my other advisor is kind of a neurotech fanatic at MIT. And so because of that, I get to work on developing and testing non-invasive brain stimulation devices for clinical anesthesia. So we're really interested in seeing whether or not you can create systems that mean that we don't have to rely as much on drugs to both induce anesthesia, but also to like bring people out in real time instead of waiting for the drugs to just like get out of their system. Mm -hmm. So I understand that you got your start in biomedical engineering with a lot of material science. Yeah. So tell us about kind of that transition from material science to neuroscience, what sparked it, How was it what was it like? Yeah, so I definitely started in biomaterials, material science. Uh, I actually started doing research in high school, so I worked at Columbia, and Whoa. that lab just happened <laughs> to be a material science lab. Um, we were working on creating biomaterials to engineer the periodontal ligament, which like is usually the thing that goes away when you get gingivitis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that wasn't really, I guess, from any like interest of my own per se. I didn't yeah, know yeah, yeah. what within BME I was interested in doing, but it was a lab that offered me you know, a shot at doing research as a high schooler, which I had no idea what that meant at the time. Um, <laughs> I still remember my first interview. I worked with Dr. Helen Liu, and I think I told her that I was interested in doing experiments but not research because Mm -hmm. I thought that research was like Googling things (laughs) and then writing a paper Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was still nice enough to let me work with Mm -hmm. her for a year. So I then went to Cornell. Um, I spent three and a half years, wow, uh, in Larry Bedasser's lab Uh working on tissue engineering for the meniscal enthesis, which is a, (laughs) which is my, that was my hat hitting the (laughs) microphone in case, (laughs) sorry, um, yeah, which is an, a ligament essentially that, that attaches the meniscus in your knee to the bone. Um, so I spent three and a half years on that and it was actually the grad student that I worked with who first kind of figured out that like, maybe you're not interested in tissue engineering. Mm -hmm, Like, you don't Mm -hmm. seem to like working with cells. Um, The material science end of it is, like, interesting to you, but whenever you have to run data analysis, that's really kind of the thing that seems to get you going. So 
he got me into maybe pivoting more towards a CS-focused biomedical engineering path. Mm -hmm. And then I had a professor, Dr. Chris Schaefer, um, who taught a circuits class that we all had to take. It was part of the major. And he really got me into the electrical engineering side of things. So when I was applying to grad school, I was kind of like, well, I know I want to do E. I know I want to do CS. I know I still want to do BME. What areas of research kind of hit all of those fields yeah um and brain machine interfaces was kind of a big one that i knew was both something that seemed really interesting um the brain is this like super complex thing that we definitely don't fully understand at all um but also thinking about like career paths i'm not particularly interested in academia right now and so i kind of knew that it was something where i could take the skills that i use or the skills that i learned but also the skills that i use in my day-to-day research and take that to industry somehow Mm, that's actually so cool (laughs) i mean that's like exactly the path i want to go down (laughs) i'm very heavy on cs and neuroscience here Mm -hmm. and i really want those two to just marry each other at some point in the near future yeah i mean so far it's been going well in my lab fingers crossed someone will give me a job in like four years (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're doing i mean you're doing you're doing a lot not only like in the lab you're also you have a youtube channel yep you write you do writing for uh yeah what's the what's the column again um so i used to be the science editor for the tech which is on my t's newspaper Mm -hmm. i was also an editor for science in the news which is harvard medical's science kind of science communication outlet um they do blogs but also they do like I think they're making a podcast now and um, they have Daycon, which is this big event mm-hmm. once a year where people can come and learn about science. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also used to still kind of do write for Massive Science, which is okay. a science media outlet um, that does a lot of science communication training. Yeah. And, and you also are a TEDx Beacon Street speaker. <laughs> yes. What's the story? How does that even happen? You've done What's the so story much. of that? <laughs> so, That's ridiculous. Yeah. So TEDx Beacon Street, I guess it was one of those things where you know, on Twitter, people like, so I'm very on Twitter, which is probably not great. But, <laughs> um, on Twitter, people have very polarized views of TEDx talks. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people think that they're like grandstanding, basically, and mm-hmm. not actually conveying any useful yeah. content. Interesting. Um, for, in my opinion, they're, they're avenues for you to get kind of big picture ideas out, um, but like are not good places to really have a detailed plan or a detailed message or anything like that. Okay. Um, so they're nice platforms to get people to kind of listen to the rest of your message. Uh, I got to speak at TEDx Beacon Street this year because I applied, actually. They have an open application on their website. Okay. And so the idea that I pitched was essentially um, why it's really important that like the average person understands AI systems, not at the level of like someone like me who's doing research on it, but at the level of like, how do you navigate these systems in your life, just as you would, you know, the internet and TV and mm-hmm. social media and things like that. Um, and they were interested in having me. So that was really exciting. And it was also one of those things where, you know, sitting in front of a camera and talking about science and things that you're interested in is easy because, well, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's not the same as having a live audience. I so it wasn't, it wasn't a live audience, it was... It was oh, no, a, so for my YouTube channel. Okay, okay. Um, Stuff like that, like that was something that was definitely outside of my comfort mm-hmm, zone. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, if I screw up, I just edit it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no one ever sees <laughs> That's it. That's what we do we here. Know <laughs> we know that so well. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know this, the, the video that I just released um, on Friday is about, like, how... Um, 
this Canadian health monitoring company used an AI system to predict the coronavirus outbreak and then alerted a bunch of public health officials. And I filmed that three times. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't like the first two takes. No, yeah. Um, and it was like the morning of when I was supposed to be releasing it and I was like editing this video and I was like, yeah, I just still don't like this. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to reshoot the whole thing. And that's mm-hmm. not something you can do on a stage. Um, so one of the reasons why I applied to TEDx Beacon Street was definitely because I just wanted to like have that experience of public speaking. No, yeah. Um, and kind of get more comfortable in that kind of science communication. Mm, yeah. So th- w- what would be your takeaways from TEDx Beacon Street? Why would you endorse or tell students to apply to TEDx Beacon Street to have that experience? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that if you have, you know, their whole thing is having an idea worth sharing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if you do, um, it's a great way to both get comfortable speaking in front of an audience, because ideally, if you're going to be sharing that idea, this isn't going to be the last time that you yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really good for that. It's a great way to get your message out. Um, but I also think that, you know, this wasn't the first time I'd applied to a TEDx. Um, I applied to TEDx Cornell and got rejected. I applied to a couple other ones and got rejected. And I think the big reason why I got rejected was because I just didn't really have that idea yet. I didn't know Mm -hmm. what I wanted to say. And so I I don't think that you should necessarily, like, just apply to be on the stage. Yeah. Um, But if there's something that you really want to share that you can kind of summarize up in, like, six or seven words, which is definitely hard, <laughs> um, then then I definitely recommend applying because it's just a great opportunity. They coach you through the process. They're speaker sessions um, where they give you feedback from people who are both like average people, but also like people from the industry that you're potentially talking about. Interesting. Um, so they, they really help you along the way to get you to giving a great talk at the end. That's awesome. That's really, that's super cool. That's It's also like, I don't know. I know if like, like we or like anyone I knew were to do one of those like I feel like my mom would call me and be like hey you need to do this or like hey <laughs> like look what he did <laughs> like look how amazing this is yeah the, they live stream the whole thing and my mom unbeknownst to me sent out the link to my like entire family yeah. <laughs> as soon as I got off that's the what, stage I had Ian's... like 8 million text uh, messages yeah, or my, my family was like, like hey, that was so great and I'm like oh thank you but also I Definitely didn't realize all of you were watching. That's cool. Yeah, Ian's Ian's mom is actually our, our right. biggest supporter <laughs> right at this moment. Ian's mom is our biggest supporter. The majority you, of our views are are middle aged white women, <laughs> because she's spreading the word through BU Moms Facebook. Yeah, I mean uh, like that's how it starts. Like when I started my YouTube channel, my mm-hmm. biggest supporter was probably my dad. Yeah, that's how it is for so a while. It's hard. It's hard to like start your own thing. Yeah. So what? What are like three pieces of advice that would, you would give to students who want who have an idea mm-hmm. and want to materialize it? Because it's something that it seems that you're pretty good at. And we've also struggled with that yeah. <laughs> for weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the first thing would be to just like run it by as many people as you can, like field test it essentially. Okay. Um, there's a lot of, like you may have this message that you want to convey, but what you're saying may not be actually resonating with people in the way that you want it to and so talking to as many people as possible about it Mm -hmm. um obviously if there's like ip issues or something like don't Mm -hmm. post it on facebook and shout to the rooftops but like getting as much feedback as you can um both before you go public but also after like the nice thing about youtube well 
the nice and sometimes not so nice thing about YouTube is the comments section. Mm-hmm. Um, I can always get feedback on my videos. Some of it is constructive, some of it is not. <laughs> but it's it's helpful for me to kind of know, like, okay, I've gotten better at this thing, or people are getting this out of this video, and I actually want them to get this. So, like, the next time I do this, I clearly need to change the way that I'm conveying it. Mm-hmm. Um, my second piece of advice would be, like, it's not going to be good the first time. And I think YouTube in particular has just been, like, a really great learning experience for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because you can see, like, in the progression of my YouTube videos, like, my original ones, like, sucked. Like, real bad. <laughs> that's, where we're, that's where we're at yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are no, waiting No, I think you guys are grow. doing pretty well. Um, but I just, like, I didn't know how to talk to a camera. Yeah. Um, I didn't know. I didn't script my videos at that point. I script my videos now. Um, I couldn't see what I looked like, so, like, I was recording on my phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have a camera with a flip-out screen, which, like, when you're framing your videos, it makes it so much easier. Yeah, you, like, yeah. know that the camera's in focus, which was, like, something that I ran into all the time. Um, so just know that, like, the first, you know, couple run-throughs of it, like, it's not going to be perfect. Um, and it probably won't be as good as you want it to be. Um, but especially now in, in the digital media age where you see all the people around you who are creating these like crazy awesome projects Mm -hmm. and often have much larger budgets than you (laughs) like you do have to be a little bit more creative with like how your video is going to come out and then you also just have to know that like you're not going to be able to like make a mark rober video where you fill an entire pool with foam yeah yeah yeah. like i saw it it was really cool but it's like one of those things where i'm like I can't do that. Like, (laughs) that's not an option for me. And so I have to think both, like, I I have to, you have to be kind to yourself and not compare it on that Mm -hmm. scale. Mm -hmm. Um, But also get creative with, like, what you can and can't do. Yeah. So what was that push for you to put yourself out there on all these mediums? Yeah. So I guess I'd been doing um, Splash at Cornell, which is a program that's run at a bunch of different institutions, but it's where um, usually university affiliates can teach a class on whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And I'd been teaching a class on how to engineer superheroes using, like, biomedical engineering principles. Um, And so it's usually middle school kids, I think, at Cornell. I think it's now middle school kids at MIT. I did splash at MIT when I was in high school. Um, Actually, I guess it's middle and high school at MIT. Anyway. And (laughs) I really liked doing it. Um, One of the nice things about classroom teaching is that you can kind of get real-time feedback because you can see, like, whether that kid's, like, passed out on his desk yeah, or, yeah. like, whether they're, like, really interested, it's a lot easier to tell. And I was interested in looking at other ways of doing science communication, um, partially because, you know, in a classroom, you get the kids who are coming because they're interested in the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, in science writing, you get the people who are already interested in science and who are also willing to read the, like, 500 to 1,000 word article that you just wrote. Yeah. Um, And neither of those populations are necessarily the biggest group of people. So YouTube um, is a much larger platform. You have a bit more reach if you can essentially get the views. Um, And it was just a new form of communication that, you know, I didn't really have that much skill with. So I kind of wanted to take it as a learning experience. The other thing that I had noticed was that looking through, you know, the science channels that I was already following... Um, there just wasn't a ton 
on artificial intelligence that wasn't like project based. Yeah. Um, so I, I now know some of the people who run some of the big like math and science channels. Um, they do a lot of great work, um, but a lot of their stuff is very like hands on, project y, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to coding. And something that I had kind of become more aware of during my senior year of undergrad was kind of the social impact and the ethical side of artificial intelligence. Yeah. And it just wasn't something that I saw anyone talking about there. So I thought that, you know, this is a topic that's really interesting to me. Let me make a channel about it, see if, you know, Mm -hmm. other people might also be interested Mm -hmm. in learning about it. And it was like a clear niche on YouTube that like no one else really seemed to be talking about. So I figured if there were a topic to make a channel about, this would probably be it. Yeah. Have you... Have you found people with the same interests as you in terms of like uh, artificial intelligence, ethics of artificial intelligence, diving into this space? Um, like researchers or like- just just like people around you? Because I, I feel like now that we're in this like this medium of science communication, we're we're kind of meeting people, mm-hmm. we're reaching out to people, and I feel like it's kind of like a law of attraction. Do you feel Do you feel the same way? I think we're starting to see more of I guess what. Me and um, there's a guy who works at OpenAI as their kind of head of policy. Um, Mm. Jack Clark calls it basically like AI communication Um, that, you know, as we have more AI systems used in people's lives and in in different settings, we're going to have to hire those people who are going to explain what the software developers (laughs) are doing to everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that's just becoming more and more important. So I am starting to see more people do it. Um, Not so much on YouTube. So there's another person who does AI safety uh, videos on YouTube, um, Rob Miles, he does a lot of great stuff. He's been doing it for longer than I have, but his still tends to be fairly focused on people who kind of already have a level of knowledge of the field on the technical side. Yeah. Um, Whereas I'm not seeing a ton of stuff that's more like for the person who wants to know like why Tinder sorts your profile the way it does. Yeah. Um, I don't see as much of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, as someone who's, you know, like scraped the surface on AI themselves, I, I found such a huge contrast in the idea of what people think it is and what it really is when it's really just like learning algorithms. Mm-hmm. So could you like talk about that, explain a little bit about the public view of AI versus yeah. what it means Myths. to like do research in AI? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, A, think that like, it's essentially magic. And I think that that applies to a lot of stuff in science, honestly. Like, yeah. I think that there's a lot of a lot of the more complicated stuff. Um, people kind of look at it as a black box and don't really ask questions past that. Yeah. Um, I think that as we start to see things like facial recognition um, implemented in daily lives, we're starting to see people ask more questions. Um, but there isn't generally a huge understanding of like what the systems are actually doing how realistic some of the fears around these systems are there's a lot of people who think that like you know artificial general intelligence is going to happen in the next two years and the robots are going to take over the world and like that's (laughs) not likely (laughs) um and so one of the things that i definitely tried to on my channel is just kind of bring it down to the level of like these things in a lot of cases are like pattern matchers okay like they're they've seen patterns in other things and they're looking for the thing that fits the pattern. And it's, like, not really that much more complicated than that. Um, and, you know, they don't have, like, thoughts. One of the things that I've been actually trying to do lately um, is 
be mindful of the way that I refer to AI systems. So I don't say AI. Mm-hmm. I say AI systems a lot more. Okay. Um, because when you start to refer to AI like it's a person, like AI yeah. learned to do this <laughs> and AI thought that this picture looked like this, then people like personify it in ways outside of their vocabulary. It's the, it's the way that they see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try to like make it pretty clear when I talk about an AI system that I'm like, this is an algorithm. It's a bunch of lines of code. It's not thinking, mm-hmm. but it has no intention towards you mm-hmm. um, and and help people understand that. But yeah, I think the public definitely, the their understanding of it is limited and until it starts really affecting people's lives, um, it's just not something that like people are necessarily going to reach out and ask for that kind of information, which I get because... You know, for a lot of people, there are a lot of other much more important things yeah. mm-hmm. going Very on much, in their yeah. lives that they need to pay attention to. Yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, there's a lot of technical stuff. I'd like to move a little bit away from that and talk about you, mm-hmm. like in your interests. Uh, we talked about like how you do so much thing. You're a writer. Yeah. You're very you know. science oriented. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Science, but, science policy. Is there, is there things that you do, you know, at the end of the week, take your mind off it, activities, hobbies? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty into fitness. Yeah. Um, so I used to do CrossFit and right now kind of switched focus a little bit to doing a Spartan trifecta this year. Whoa. Um, nice. <laughs> which is where you do basically a 5K obstacle course race, a 10K obstacle course race, and then a half marathon obstacle oh, yeah. course race in a wow. year. Wow. Um, and so the first one I have up is the 5K in May, and then I have the half marathon in August, mm-hmm. and the 10K in, I think, September. Um, <laughs> so the summer's going to be pretty where wild. You, where do you find the time? Like, what is, where do you find the time to do all of this? How? I think... Is my question. On some level, <laughs> being a grad student actually helps a lot because I don't have a fixed schedule during the day. Okay. Um, so, like, I know, you know, half my lab, or at least in one of my labs, half my lab, like, works from home. Uh-huh. Um, I effectively work from home on Fridays now. Um, and then on top of that, like... You know, I, I come home and I could, like, sit and watch TV or, like, scroll through Twitter. But a lot of the stuff is just stuff that I'm going to, like, be reading about anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's stuff that I enjoy learning about. Yeah, yeah. And so the translation process is, like, kind of fun mm-hmm. in a way. Um, but, yeah, people people ask me and, like, other science communication people that I know who are also grad students how we find the time for this. And, like, yeah. the honest answer is I don't really know. Mm. Um, just the happens. time, yeah, the time makes itself. Oh. And when it doesn't, then I have to shuffle things around. But so far, it actually hasn't really been that big of an issue. Interesting. So have you started your training? Have you started anything yep. for this? Okay. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was a little worried. What, is it, what does a training <laughs> regimen look like? Um, I mean, it's kind of whatever you want it to be. So this isn't the first Spartan that I've done. So I kind of have an idea of like mm-hmm. what I'm getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thing for me is the running um, because I come from a more lifting background. So four days a week I run um, anywhere between like a 5K and like a 10K. I'm, I'm starting to push the 10K mileage so that I can start getting up to half marathon numbers. Okay. Um, and then the other three days a week uh, I do – right now I'm doing an Olympic weightlifting program because um, I got into Ollie when I was doing CrossFit mm-hmm. and wanted to keep doing it when I left. Um, but, yeah, that's – that's mostly the training plan. <laughs> there's no there's no secret. It just no. happens. No, I mean a lot of the the obstacles are mostly either like strength or skill. Mm-hmm. Um and 
keeping up with the strength is just making sure I'm still lifting mm -hmm. and the skill stuff. Some of it, like I know how to do already. And there's other stuff that I'm like, frankly, not going to learn how to do. And <laughs> yeah. I'll take the 30 burpee penalty or whatever and keep going. Okay. Um, like there's one obstacle where you do, uh, what are those things called? Not like monkey bars. So it like starts with monkey bars and then it goes to rings. Okay. And then it goes to baseballs. Oh, so it's you like grab. Ninja Warrior yeah. style. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, actually, American Ninja Warrior, that's exactly what I pictured. And so I've, like, come across that obstacle in multiple races now. <clears throat> and I just know that, like, I would have spent so much time, like, just learning how to do that, and I'm not going to do it. So it's fine. Oh, that seems I'll do so burpees. <laughs> so have you had that, like, what was the moment that you realized that you wanted to do, like, the Spartan race? You're a very science. Has it, has it always been? Something you're interested in? Um, I mean, I've done a couple now. Um, I've always been into fitness. Mm -hmm. The big thing was, um, so the big reason why I left my CrossFit gym um, was like the fact that CrossFit in Boston is expensive and yeah. not <laughs> Everything particularly, in expensive. yeah. yeah. Um, which with my current budget, it just didn't work out. Um, and so I know that I'm a lot more likely to be consistent in exercising if I have a goal okay. in mind. And so knowing like that in, you know, seven months i'm gonna have to run a half marathon is the thing that like reminds me like today i haven't run yet i know that after this i'm gonna have to go run um <laughs> and it's, so that's the thing that's like you do have to go to the gym like you like the gym but also when it's like six in the morning and you're like trying to get out of bed so you can go to the gym mm -hmm. just remember that you have to do this thing and that's gonna get you there so that's what it is for me awesome that's just impressive <laughs> that's so much on top of what all this research and all this psychom oh, yeah so and I'm only so, drinking one cup of coffee a day now, which is like wild for me. It used to be like five. Five cups. That's of impressive. Coffee. That that alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot of coffee. I did a detox over winter break. That's smart. Smart. Yeah. smart. Very well, good move. I ended up basically replacing the like morning cup of coffee with like ibuprofen because the headaches <laughs> were so bad. Oh no. But after like three weeks it went away. And so it was I'm a like, chemical addiction. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's Caffeine is my drug of choice. Kevin, <laughs> so I understand you also work for the MIT Media Lab. Is that right? Yeah, uh, our program, my PhD program, does rotations, and so my first rotation was fully in the Media Lab. I worked mm. with Ramesh Roskar. I was working on um, essentially privacy and encryption for medical data. Okay. Um, so that you could use medical data to train neural networks without like violating HIPAA. Okay. Um. I still work in the media lab. One of my advisors is in the media lab. I mm -hmm. work with Ed Boyden. Um, so, yeah. He's a big guy, Ed Boyden. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a guy, I think he's, didn't he, like, co-invent optogenetics? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Big names. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a, uh, yeah, it's it's funny. I think a lot of people in my program came in and they were like, I want to work with, like, such and such great person in the field that mm -hmm. everyone knows. Mm -hmm. I did not come in that way. Yeah. And I still ended up working with, like, one of the biggest neuroscientists at MIT and the uh, head of my department and basically, like, the biggest researcher in anesthesia. Yeah. That's... that's. <laughs> I mean, we keep saying crazy. Because it is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, wh why why do so much? Like, well, what is under... What is under... Seriously, dude. Mm -hmm. it's, it's... Why why do so much? What What is the underpinning motivation for you just to be constantly active so on some level i think it's like 
the fact that I will not get things done unless there is an external pressure. And mm, the easiest way for me of adding external pressure is to just bloat up my schedule. Sure. Whoa. Um, so yeah, so that's some that's that's a big part of it. Um, I find that if I like have too much free time, like I remember in undergrad, we would have like winter breaks that would last like six weeks. Yeah, yeah, our and, winter breaks are pretty long. Yeah. yeah, and like once Christmas was over and New Year's was over, just sit there like I would bed. go stir crazy for four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I found that like during those four weeks, that was how I got into CrossFit because mm-hmm. um, it was something I could do in the mornings. And like I started a YouTube channel over that time. Because that was something that I could do during the day. And so I just find that, like, there's a certain level of busy that I need to be in order to remain productive. Um, And this seems to be roughly that amount. Is is there anything that you want to do that you haven't gotten to yet? Um, I don't think there's necessarily anything that I'd want to do that I haven't gotten to yet. There are things that I used to do that I'd like to get back to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I used to figure skate competitively. I'd love to get back into skating. Um, I used to sing in, like, my high school choir um, and a little bit in undergrad, and I'd love to get back into that. Um, And at that point, it really becomes, like, with all the things that I do right now, they can be done on my own schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, like, if I were to join an acapella group, like, now I have to, like, deal with someone else's schedule. If I were to get back into figure skating at MIT, they, like, have their (coughs) own schedule. Um, And so that's kind of the big reason why I haven't gotten back to those yet. Um, but it's on the list of things that I'd like to do. I think right now between doing my PhD, um, having this YouTube channel, mm. and then I'm also the vice chair of the external affairs board for MIT's graduate student council. Mm-hmm. Um, That's another thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah just throw wait, it wait. On. No, yeah, yeah. Okay. Continue. <laughs> um, there's just, I, I, I don't see the space in my schedule to like add those things in yet. No, yeah. That's fair. Um, but you know, we'll see. So like long weekend you have nothing on the schedule your schedule's cleared out what are the three things that you do to relax uh probably go to the gym okay um let's see what else probably hang out with my friends we had um galentine's day um, thursday night and that was fun we like watched try guys videos and drank wine and ate (laughs) it was great um so that would be it and then like definitely try restaurants um i'm such a foodie Um, I, I love going out to restaurants. The main reason why I don't do it as much as I'd like to is because of the budget. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I love going out to eat and when I can and when my friends can, then it's definitely something that I really like doing. Yeah. Every weekend, me and my friends try and try out new restaurants nice. and like just amazing spots around Boston. Yeah. Today is the smokehouse at Kendall Square, if anybody wants Ooh. to join. Interesting. Yeah. What's your favorite spot? Ooh, right now? Um... Lolita's up there. Okay. Where's that? Uh, it's in Back Bay. It's like... It's very good. It's yeah. really it's good. Very good. <laughs> what kind of food? What kind of food? Mexican. Oh. Yeah, it's very good. Um, it's very busy. Getting a reservation there can be a bit of a pain. Or really getting a seat if you don't have a reservation can be a bit of a pain. Um, but I've been there several times, and it's great. So you, you come from... Cornell's in New York, yep. right? So you come to Boston... Ithaca. What? I, I'm sorry. I love Ithaca so Ithaca's much. Great. It's yeah, a Ithaca, beautiful Ithaca. city. I had a few friends that went to uh, went to Cornell and went to college in Ithaca. Yeah. It's My pretty, brother it's, went it's to beautiful. Ithaca it's College. So yeah. I see. Would Gorgeous. you like to stay in Boston? Um, if it were less expensive to live here, maybe. Yeah. 
that's that's really the big thing for me. Um, I think part of it is also jobs. Obviously, Kendall's like this huge biotech hub, but it's a fairly drug and devices fo- focused medical hub. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think some of the places that I'd be more interested in working are West Coast. Uh, but I also haven't really made up my mind yet because I still have four years until I defend. <laughs> that's fair. So yeah, I think it would depend a lot on job opportunities. Um, and then kind of connected to that, like essentially what the cost of living is like in the area. Mm. And there's also like a regional concentration of your type of research. You can't exactly go anywhere unless you want to work remotely. Yeah. Yeah. So that might be, that might be a little option for you. Yeah. And I mean, when I went, so YouTube has, um, this annual event called EduCon, which is like an invite only educational creator thing that they do at the YouTube space in LA. And so when I went there, there were all these people who were like, is YouTube going to be your full-time job after your PhD? And I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> like, we'll see how many subscribers I have in five years. Would you so. be, would you be willing to, if you did have enough subscribers? I don't know. Hypothetically? Um, I think the big thing for me in terms of like career post PhD is that I would still want to be able to do like hands-on science. Okay. Um, and whether that's like building things or programming, uh, I would like to do it with the same essentially level of resources that I've had during Mm -hmm. my PhD, Mm -hmm. which is just expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a lot easier to do that through a company that's paying for those resources than it is to pay it on my own dime. Sure. So would that be more in like a private field or would that be, you said you don't exactly want to be in academia. So would that be more in a private industry or would that be like still funded through like MIT if you wanted to stick around or like Um, other research? I don't know yet. I could see going private. Um, I could see going public sector. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, whatever. It would depend. It right now it depends a lot on like who has a job description of a thing that I want to do. Yeah, not necessarily too picky after that. So good, it's yeah. a lot of it. It's like after you graduate grad school, it's about finding a place that's like that has the opportunity, but is not as like is not as costly. So like, what are some what are some places that you found that like have a good balance between those two things? I don't think it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a not as costly thing. It's more of a, like, the ratio of my salary to the cost of living should be reasonable. Oh, okay. Um, So, like, I wouldn't mind going to work, like, in San Francisco, essentially, if they were paying me enough to live there. Exactly, yeah. Um, I would work in New York if they were paying me enough to live there. I would work in Boston if they were paying me (laughs) enough to live here. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, like, not necessarily the case when you're a grad student, but, Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, what's the last book that you read? Are you a big reader? Uh, I've been trying to get back into it. I used to be much more of a big reader in like high school and college. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the last book that I read was, oh, it was um, Vicious by V. Schwab. Mm. It's, uh, it's really good. I love all of her books. Um, it's, it's kind of sci-fi. I, I read a lot of sci-fi. But it was like way gorier than i thought it was going to be like lots of murder so science fiction yeah yeah um yeah lots of lots of gory murder that i did not anticipate when i picked up the book but it was really good i read it straight through in like three hours do you watch sci-fi movies sometimes sometimes okay yeah i don't watch a ton of movies you don't watch Mm -hmm. a ton of movies okay so what's Mm -hmm. your what's your entertainment medium of choice weirdly enough i watch a lot of youtube oh okay yeah favorite channel Oh, man, I don't even know. Um, it would depend a lot. Like <laughs> Top three. There's, like, favorite educational channel. There's, like, favorite okay. for fun channel. 
Um, just sit back and relax. Like, what, yeah. are you, what are you clicking on? Well, You're both. Just, so, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So your life really is just all. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a little all over the place. Um, I watch a lot of Bon Appetit now. Oh, oh yes. do I love Oh, bon we've talked yeah. about this so bon many Appetit. times. I love Bon, bon Appetit. Appetit is Check great. out Bon Appetit, guys. It's great. Carla? Um, I love Carla. Oh. I love Brad. They're Bradley. also good. <laughs> oh. Um, it's funny because they always talk about how he's like stereotypical like New Jersey person. I'm like, I grew up in New Jersey. I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> no, my friend Hannah relates to him way too much. Funny. <laughs> he's funny. Dude. Maybe he's it's funny like a dude. South Jersey thing. I grew up in North Jersey. Um, Bergen County. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love Bon Appetit. Um, on the science side, I really love Medlife Crisis. I also know him personally. He's great. But mm-hmm. his channel is hilarious. Um, he's a cardiologist and phd student um in london and he does like medical videos but he's really funny i'm just i'm just i'm just so fascinated how like like you do you do so much but like there's no there's no like methodology because like because like i feel i feel like there has to, like for you me you do the same thing <laughs> what do you mean me? yes okay talk about it what what do you mean your schedule is so tight from 5 45 in the morning till 8 p.m at night Oof. it is it is <laughs> but but i can i can i feel like there's like a there's a methodology to the madness like i can talk about it like to me that to be so like someone so like it's just like oh yeah i'm gonna like do this i'm gonna run the spartan race because I'm just going to throw it in my schedule and that's how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's crazy. That's crazy to me. I mean, I think part of it is that like for a lot of these things, like for YouTube, I, I didn't intend to make it essentially a side business. It is now becoming a side business. Okay. Um, but I wanted to as a hobby for the Spartan trifecta. Like I'm not trying to meddle in it. Yeah. It's something that I just want to do so mm-hmm. I can say I completed it. It doesn't need to be fast. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of things that I kind of get into out of curiosity, um, and then some of them end up kind of turning around and becoming like part of my brand, so to say, so to say, um, which is something that I actually try not to do as much. I think Hank Green made a fun comment about this at one point where he was basically like, we need to stop like trying to monetize our hobbies. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's both a thing that people do a lot in, you know, 2020, um, having side gigs and all that stuff, but it's also something that like I've been trying to be a little more conscious of lately. Mm-hmm. That way, I'm not like writing because I used to write for pay, um, yeah. and making sure that like I'm doing YouTube and I'm doing it the way that I want it to, and not the way that I think will like make me money. Okay, mm-hmm. it's important to have those outlets that aren't necessarily like a side hustle that yeah. everybody glorifies. I agree. Yeah. So, is there anything you would like to say to like maybe? students Ad, or like everyday ai <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah i mean plug, if you want to check out my channel it's called everyday AI. it's spelled every day but the last y is an i i've been thinking about changing the channel name for a while now. <laughs> very clever very always clever. confuses people <laughs> but we'll see um you can also follow me on twitter if you want to hear about what being a phd student is like yeah um it's my name <laughs> and outside of that i mean i i think it's important to note that like I didn't just like get to college and suddenly get involved in all this stuff. Like mm-hmm. it was not yeah. suddenly joining six clubs and like running a bunch of student orgs and stuff like that. It was stuff that I kind of gradually picked up over time. And whenever I pick up a new thing, I try to be like pretty conscious about how it's going to fit in my schedule or how I'm going to pay for it or like whatever considerations need to be met. And I also try to kind of do an annual review of like, what are all the things I'm doing do I actually enjoy all of them? Yeah. Are they worth the time that I'm putting in? And if they're not, then I'll like leave them or okay. I'll, I'll find ways yeah. to 
um, have other people take over the responsibility because I, I don't think that, you know, you should necessarily be doing something that just because you've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Like, make sure you're still enjoying all the things that you're doing. So be, be okay with giving things up. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for talking to us. Thank you for giving such a conscious look on hopefully what we dive into <laughs> in the near future. <laughs>